0: Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Micah, chapter one, verses one through nine. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, all her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. For this I will lament and wail, I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord.
1: To you, if this is your first Christmas season with us, Welcome, Uh, God has grown our church tremendously in this past year, and uh, I just want to say that uh, we have started our annual Christmas birthday party for Jesus this morning, and it will run for the next month, and we will celebrate uh, our risen, uh, born Savior who came and died for us, amen? It's going to be tremendous. Going to be tremendous. You sang so well. Um, I was honestly concerned. I said to to some folks over here, our whole Montreat crew isn't here, so you're going to have to, you know, carry this section. And so you did. Good work. Um, Good to have you pray for Montreat students as they drive back today, many of them coming back to campus be in prayer for them. We begin a new series today from Micah chapter uh, from Micah, and uh, today will be chapter one. But we are in Micah, and the series is called "Who Is Like the Lord." That is the meaning of Micah's name. His name means "Who is like the Lord?" And so I begin with a quote from Tim Keller this morning. He says, when a great big truck goes over a tiny little bridge, sometimes there's a bridge quake. And when a big man goes on to thin ice, there's an ice quake. Whenever Jesus Christ comes down into a person's life, there is a life quake. Everything is reordered. He says, if God was a guru, if he was a great man... If he was a great teacher, even if he was the genie of the lamp, there will be some limits on his rights over you. If he's God, you cannot relate to him at all and retain anything in your life that's a non-negotiable. Anything. Any view, any conviction, any idea, any behavior, any relationship. He may change it. He may not change it. But at the beginning of the relationship, you have to say, in everything, he must have the supremacy. My question to you this morning is, have you experienced a life quake? Is God your Lord? Is he in charge Is your life so radically changed by God that whatever he says goes? That you are open to whatever it is that he has for you? I would also share personally my story, which will not necessarily be yours. Many of you if you've been here long enough have heard me share that at the age of 15, I realized on a Tuesday night my lostness. As the preacher was preaching, I couldn't wait to go forward as was the tradition in which I grew up and give my life to Christ. I was so lost. I needed him so desperately. But I didn't realize it until that night. Though I grew up in a Christian home, I uh, was in church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, any revival service. My father, a pastor. My uncle, a pastor. My brother would become a pastor. This was my family. But I was lost. But in the tradition in which I grew up, We weren't discipled, no one came alongside us and said, this is how you live this life. This is how you nourish what God has begun. And so because of my parenting, for which I am grateful, uh, just just instilled in me, I, I finished high school a good kid, work hard, go to college a good kid. I don't do the things that all parents want their kids not to do. I don't party, I don't taste a drink of alcohol as a college kid, I don't have sex, I do all of these things that parents just breathe a sigh, a collective sigh of relief. But I developed a potty mouth, I became arrogant over my academic achievement, I did not at all represent Christ on my campus. I graduated from college. I taught school a year. I go back then to grad school at the University of South Carolina, and it is there. Lying on my sofa in the living room of my apartment, I hit a wall. Academically, I was on track. Career-wise, I was on track. Everything was in place for me to live out this dream I had for my life. And I was so empty. I was so empty. And what happened that evening lying on that sofa is that I looked up at the ceiling And I looked toward the heavens, and I said, God, I do not know who you are or what you're up to in my life, but I need you. He heard that simple prayer. Next morning, I'm in worship at a church with hundreds, thousands of people, actually. And as I am worshiping there, have you ever been to church And when the preacher preached, you thought you were the only person in the room? Anybody experienced that? That was me. And I sat there that morning thinking, did you tap my phone last night? How did you know? Wasn't the pastor. He was an associate. God spoke through that man that day. I remember going home. I'd never on my own read the word. I got my copy of scripture out. I opened it up next morning early all i had was the king james that's all we were allowed to read i opened it and as i began to read it i was like a kid who hadn't eaten since i was 15 and got a new appetite i was so hungry i began to devour god's word and things began to change in my life the lifequake never ended. As a matter of fact, yesterday morning, I got up. And yesterday morning, seeking God, yesterday morning over some, just some things that I want answers to and need him for. And I turned to Psalm 55 and began to pray his word. And I felt an aftershock of the life quake. Have you had a lifequake? Micah finds himself in um, Jerusalem. He doesn't live there, he's traveled there. He is serving about 700 to 740 BC, a 40 year tenure. He is not the well-known prophet of his day. That would be Isaiah. Isaiah is the prophet to the kings. Micah lives in an unknown town, Moresheth, somewhere between Jerusalem and the Mediterranean Sea. Israel has gone through a time of great prosperity. Solomon the king had led them and expanded them, and they were finally at peace until he messed up. How did he mess up a lot of wives who worshiped a lot of different gods and he began to worship those gods? And at his death, Israel split into two kingdoms, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. The north had its capital city, Samaria. The south, Jerusalem the capital city, and that's why Micah mentions both. In chapter one, he's prophesying to both cities. By the time we get to two and three, Samaria has fallen, Assyria has come in and completely devastated Israel to the north. Micah's prophecy then moves south to his own place, Judah, in its capital city, Jerusalem. What does he say? Four four statements, really. Four aspects of his prophecy, which become the four, in a sense, points of the sermon. God is coming down because of your idolatry. And Micah says, this breaks my heart, so repent. Repent. All of you. God is coming down because of your idolatry, and this breaks my heart. So repent, all of you. Micah calls God a witness. More than one occasion in this book, Micah sets up a court scene, and this is the first one, and God is serving two roles in this court. He is both the judge and he's the witness. I must say to you that um, I wouldn't want God as a witness in the courtroom of my life. Why? Because he sees everything, right? He sees it all. And if God sees everything, then he knows it all, and he can mention it all. Is there anyone in the room that would like all the details of your life presented by God? No. No. Not at all. That's not what Micah focuses on, though. Micah says when God comes down, look at verse four, the mountains melt, the valleys split, and waters pour down a steep place. Inanimate creation can't stand in his presence. Mountains melt, a volcanic eruption. Valleys split, an earthquake. Waters pour down a steep place, a monsoon or a hurricane. A torrential downpour. Because God is spirit, we cannot see him, but we definitely see his effects. That's important to remember. You say, Jerry, how so? For all of you who belong to Christ and are filled with the spirit, right? Scripture says to be filled with the spirit. Once you come to Christ, that's up to you. Will you be full of whatever it may be, or will you be filled with the Spirit? We see the effects. What? You love your enemies. You love God's Word. Right? People who don't know God, but then come to know God, they all of a sudden want to be in His Word, like me. That's the work of the Spirit. So you can't see God, but you see God at work. Well, there are a couple of instances where people are said in the Old Testament to see God. What happens? Exodus 24, Moses writes, Moses and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 75 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. Well, you ought to be asking yourself the question, isn't it impossible to look on God and live? Yes, yes but everything in me says, all right, tell me what you saw. If you saw him, tell me what you saw. Listen, here's what they say, there was under his feet as it were a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness and he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Moses, are you serious? You saw God And all we get is the sapphire pavement on which he stood? That's it? We get no further explanation of God? Yes. Why? Because you will not go out today, hopefully, and glare directly into the sun. Why? Well, you won't see well. But you will see everything the sun illuminates. So it is when you see God. You cannot look on him and live. You simply are blinded by the radiance, so you see everything around him. He's not alone, Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, here we go I saw the Lord. Yes, Isaiah is going to tell us who he is. Right? What did you see, Isaiah? Sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. Yes, here we go. Isaiah's going to zero in now. This is about to get good. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Are you kidding me, Isaiah? You saw the Lord, and you're going to talk about the hem of his garment? No, I want to see him. I say, tell me what you saw. Do you know when when men, men go to weddings for free food? It's true. Women go to weddings to see the bride. Imagine, ladies, it, you've gone to a wedding and your friend didn't make it, and she says, Tell me what she looked like. Well. She had a lacy train on her robe, on her wedding gown. Really? No, 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 no. What what was her face like? I don't know. I don't know. Nice hem on her dress. You're going to go, no, 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 no. Tell me more. Isaiah says, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. All right, so if God is so great and he is so grand that when someone sees him, inanimate creation just melts volcanic eruptions, earthquakes, if God is so great and He is so grand that when humans see Him, they can only describe the ground on which He stood or they can only describe the hem of His garment, then I would venture to say that why would anyone want ever to worship anyone else or anything else? But they do. Uh, God is coming down. Micah says, secondly, because of your idolatry. Verse five, all of this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? So let me explain. A high place, anytime you see that phrase in a negative way in the Old Testament, is a hill on which they worshiped idols. They would build the Asherah Poles. They, they would worship there. Samaria, the capital city of Israel to the north, has become a high place. Samaria had their own temple. It has become a high place. But it hasn't stopped there. The disease of idolatry has spread all the way down to Jerusalem and has now entered into the temple in Jerusalem. What kind of idolatry? The worship of the Canaanite god Baal, Baal, he is called. Uh, how did they worship Baal? Baal was considered to provide two primary things. Those who worshiped him, worshiped him so that the ground would be fertile and that they would be fertile. They would bear children and the ground would bear children food. He was a god of fertility, often depicted as holding a lightning ray, a flash of lightning in his hand. The worship of Baal had become so perverted that cult prostitutes were engaged These are women and men who worked in the temple. Now they've made their way into God's temple in Jerusalem. And lewd sex acts are performed as acts of worship to God. This is the same temple that God in all of his glory reveals himself. This is the same temple in which the Ark of the Covenant sat, where the glory of God rested. How? How do you go from there to there? Not only that gets worse. According to the worship of Baal, If he was not providing as you thought he should, then if you will sacrifice your firstborn child, he'll come through for you. Israel indeed engaged in child sacrifice. How, how do you get from here to here? How do you do that? How do you get from this place uh, of God's glory just quake in the temple to such low debauchery? How does that happen? I think we have a tendency to look from the outside in at Israel and go, I would never do that. Yet I'm afraid that there are you, some of you, who are bowing down to your own idols. What are they? Well, all idolatry, all of it is self-destructive. All of it. To quote Tim Keller again, his book, Counterfeit Gods, best little book I've ever read, dealing with idolatry, says this, an idolatrous attachment can lead you to break any promise, rationalize any discretion, or betray any other allegiance in order to hold on to it. It may drive you to violate all good and proper boundaries. To practice idolatry is to be a slave. Someone has taken the tenets of his book and put them into a list. A list of potential idols. Let me read through that. As I do, listen with heart open. Perhaps you this week bowed down to one of these idols. I have power and influence over others, power idolatry. Number two, I must be loved and respected by, fill in the blank, approval idolatry. Thirdly, I must have a certain kind of pleasure experience or a particular quality of life, comfort idolatry. Four, I must be able to get mastery over my life in the area of control, idolatry. Five, people must be dependent on me. They must need me. Helping, idolatry. Six, someone must be there to protect and keep me safe. Dependence. Idolatry. Seven. I am completely free from obligations or responsibilities to take care of someone. Independence. Idolatry. Eight. I must be very productive and get a lot done. Work. Idolatry. Nine. I must be recognized for my accomplishments. Achievement. Idolatry. Ten. I must have a certain level of wealth, financial freedom, and certain possessions. Materialism. Idolatry. Eleven. I must adhere to my religion's moral codes and accomplish all of its activities, religion, idolatry. 12, this one person must be in my life and happy to be there. Counselors call this one codependency. It's person, idolatry. 13, I am totally independent of organized religion, and am living by a self-made morality. Irreligion. Idolatry. Fourteen, my race and culture is ascendant and must be recognized as superior. Racial idolatry. Fifteen, a particular social group or professional group must let me in. Inner circle idolatry. 16. My children or my parents must be happy and must be happy with me. Family idolatry. 17. Many singles in the room, listen to me. Mr. or Mrs. Wright must be in love with me. Relationship Idolatry. 18. I've encountered more than one of these persons. I'm about to read. I must be hurting in a problem. Only then do I feel worthy of love or able to deal with guilt, suffering, idolatry. People who worship pain. 19. My political or social cause must make progress and descend in influence or power. Political idolatry. You, you actually believe if your party's in, we'll figure it out. That has never happened and it never will. And 20... I must have a particular look or body image. Image idolatry. Now, all of a sudden, perhaps we've forgotten Baal and child sacrifices and cult prostitutes, and the Spirit, by His grace, has pricked your hearts. Who or what are you worshiping other than God? How severe will God's judgment be? Samaria, that great city. God will make a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards. He will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. All her idols he will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute, they will return. And then what does Micah say? "God is coming down because of your idolatry, number three, and this breaks my heart. Please hear me. If you delight. In the demise of others. If you take joy when others fall, if you are the prophet who can point out sin and do it with eyes looking down rather than eyes looking across. You, according to Romans 2, are inflicted with the same sin. That's why you see it so readily in others. Micah doesn't do this from up here to down here. Notice what he says. For this I will lament and well, I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals. I did this this week. Don't do it right now. Go Google a jackal's cry. It's intense. Mourning like the ostriches, for her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. Uh, Micah says, I can't look here and say it's over there. I look here and say it's come home. Idolatry is now in the city gates of Jerusalem. Please hear me, if you lead a life group, if you disciple someone, or you're a pastor, God will use you from time to time to call out sin. He will use you to speak truth. If you ever do that in a haughty way, Scripture says, take heed lest you fall. As a matter of fact Galatians says when you call out someone else's sin look to yourself lest you too be caught by the same sin that you call out. Micah says this breaks my heart. I'll just... Stripped naked. In his day, that meant down to your underwear, basically. It was an inner tunic worn under the main clothes. So what should you do? So repent, all of you. Micah closes with a long poem. Um, I was gracious to our scripture readers and told them they didn't have to read it. Here's why. Look at it. Look at these words. It starts off easy. Tell it not in gath. Weep not at all. But then there's Beth something. Do you see that Beth Leopra? Maybe. Roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Schaefer, and nakedness and shame, the inhabitants of Zanon. But here we see Micah's brilliance. As I began to study this, I read it all. It meant nothing to me. Some of you, I think, have the mistaken assumption that I have this special uh, line to God. And so I read the Bible, and all of a sudden, it all just makes perfect sense. And then just magically, a sermon appears. It's not like that at all. So I spend, I have a change in schedule now, and all day Monday is sermon prep, all day. From the time I get in my office until I leave Monday evening, all I have done is study, all day. The staff covers everything else that day, I study. When I come in early Tuesday morning, and I hit early Tuesday morning early, I study until our staff meeting. I'm reading through this and I'm like, this makes no sense to me. Until I dig a little deeper and I see the meaning of the words. All the towns and what Micah says ought to happen are puns. Now, when we tell something that's a pun, it's intended to be funny. In prophecy, not at all. It's intended to take the knife and turn it. And Micah takes the knife and turns it. Let me read it to you then, because Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, the message found all of the meanings, put them in English, and now we have it coming together to where that, you will see the pun, so listen closely. Don't gossip about this in Telltown. Don't waste your tears. In Dustville, roll in the dust. In Alarm Town, the alarm is sounded. The citizens of Exitburg will never get out alive. Lament, last stand city. There's nothing in you left standing. The villagers of Bittertown wait in vain for sweet peace. Harsh judgment has come from God and entered Peace City. All you who live in Chariotville, get in your chariots for flight. You led the daughter of Zion into trust in not God, but chariots. Similar sins in Israel also got their start in you. Go ahead and give your goodbye gifts to Goodbyeville. Mirage Town beckoned but disappointed Israel's kings. Inheritance City has lost its inheritance. Glory Town has seen its last of glory. What does he mean? Please hear me. And I'm going to be very direct. As I preach this morning, I've looked around this room And I know some of your stories. I know them currently. And there are some people in this room whom I am speaking directly to because you are train wrecking your life. You know who you are. You are neck deep in flagrant sin that is costing you relationships, friendships, the favor and grace of God in your life. And you insist, insist on continuing. What Micah says is this. That the very thing you seek will elude you. That's the point of every one of the puns. The very thing you worship will destroy you. The very thing on which you feast will eat you alive. And it is. And everyone who knows you and loves you and loves God sees it. And you insist on ignoring counsel. God has warned you. Not, not me. No, the God who makes the mountains shake and spew molten lava and the valleys split is right now hounding you. There are also names in front of you. Last week, we asked you to write names down of people who are lost, unchurched, that you'd love to see join you in worship on Christmas Eve. Do you know that you wrote down 416 names? And and they're on the seats in front of you. You see, this message says that we're either Jerusalem or Samaria and God needs to wreck us or we're Micah and God needs to break our hearts. None of us escapes this sermon, do we? None of us. There's an old sales saying that goes like this. If I can see Joe Jones through joe jones eyes i can sell joe jones what joe jones buys i was mentored for a year by dr mark courts pastor of calvary baptist in winston great pastor 38 years almost he spent in that pulpit dr courts added to that statement this if i can see joe jones through joe jones eyes I can help Joe Jones his potential to realize. But then he took it one step further and he said, If I can see Joe Jones through God's own eyes, I can help Joe Jones before Joe Jones dies. I'm just asking you to look at the names in front of you and say, God, Would you help me to see them through your eyes? You see, what what Micah did is he stood in Jerusalem and he looked out toward the Mediterranean Sea and he named all the little towns until he got to Jerusalem. Every Sunday we have people. I met a brand new family this morning who drove here from Lake Lure. We have several families who draw from Lake Lure, others from Morganton, others from Black Mountain, others from up in Spruce Pine. And then there are folks from Nebo and Glenwood and Pleasant Gardens and Marion and Old Fort. And what what Micah did was to take the, the distinctive of each town and describe its demise. It broke his heart. The last thing I want to see, the last thing, please hear me, is Lake Lure and Marion and Old Fort and Nebo and Glenwood and Pleasant Gardens, Black Mountain and Spruce Pine and Morganton to fall apart. I want God to visit us, don't you? I want His glory. I want His favor. I want His grace to flow through our city streets, through the valleys and the hills. And that's what I want to see. You say, Jerry, is there any hope? Micah one sixteen says there is. Some of you have got a head start on this. Make yourselves bald. Eugene is well on his way. I'm right behind him. Yeah, Joe. Joe might be ahead of most of us except for Ray. I think Ray's there. Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair. For the children of your delight, make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. Why? It was a sign of repentance. When someone was repentant, he cut his head just a, just a spot. And when people would see the, the shaved spot, they would go, "Ah, oh, he, he's repentant." Micah says, "This is so bad. A shaved spot won't do. You've got to cut it all off. Just as bald as an eagle, shave your head. So I want to say to you this morning. that you've got to do that. Not literally shave your head, show signs of repentance. Sorrow. Sorrow. Let me give you a practical thing and I'll be done. You say, Jerry, you've nailed me this morning and you said this is Christmas. Gee, thanks. Micah gets better, I promise. But here, C-R-O-P, write it down. This is huge. I cannot leave you hanging. I must tell you how to crop sin out of your life. C-R-O-P. From Robert McGee's work, Search for Freedom. C is to confess. Confess. When God points out sin, say, yes, God, you got me. It's sin. It's number one. R, repent repent is the negative side of getting rid of sin it's turning away from right so if that is sin god calls it out you say yes god it is and you turn and go that way it's negative it's what you don't do that you were doing right but most people stop there and they get right back into sin oh obedience obedience what is obedience all right So, if this is sin, and that's what you were doing, and God calls you out for it, you agree with him, that's confess, you turn, that's repent, but you don't stay here. Why? You're going to focus on what? Sin. And if you focus on sin, what will you end up doing? Sinning. Right? Some of you are hungry right now. You're like, will he ever get finished? You're focused on food. And so, all you want to do is what? Eat. All right, so obedience is what you do instead of. For example, if your sin is lust, instead of lust, you love. If your sin is gossip, instead of gossip, you say encouraging words. Most people never get this. And and because of that, they turn back to this rather than develop the new. And then the P is praise. Praise. Oh, you gotta worship a God who gave his son on the cross to die for you that you might receive the forgiveness that you desperately need, and then you could truly praise. So last Sunday, last Sunday, Vanessa, would you come? Yeah, just come join me. Yeah, now. All right. So you're fine. Just come on. So last Sunday, after the second service, I walk out. Folks are waiting to talk, and Vanessa's one of them. Vanessa's been coming to grace for a few weeks. 17? 17 years old. Tears were streaming down her face. And she looked at me and she said, I know I'm lost and I must be saved, but I'm afraid I can't. So we talked. And I listened, and uh, we prayed, and Vanessa trusted Christ standing right back there as her Savior. Amen? (laughs) Amazing stuff. Remember last week I didn't have my Bible? I left it at my life group, my preaching Bible, but I had one that somebody left at my house. Vanessa owns it now. I said here's a Bible. <laughs> so if you lost your Bible, it's lost for good. <laughs> She's got it. This is a story of repentance. This is a story of the sermon. This is a story of changed life and Adrian is going to baptize you. Would you step over there? Yes. Yeah. Do you remember how we celebrated last week? Baptism? Do you remember? All right. We're going to do it again. Let's join Adrian and Vanessa.
0: it's like a hot tub here. Um we'll celebrate
1: today, Vanessa. You know for certain that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. But it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father Amen. <laughs> Woo! Woo! Yes. all God's people say, you can stay standing. Amen. 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 Listen, look on the seat in front of you. Don't you want to see those people walk into that water and be baptized? Amen. Amen. Father, as we go,